1: Last week, we had an interview with Michael Vorz of Church Militant. One of the things we talked about was bad bishops in the USCCB, America's body of bishops. What we're going to do in this episode is talk about who the bad bishops are, who the mediocre bishops are, and who the good bishops are. You might want to take notes.
2: Hi, this is Christine Niles. I'm a senior producer here at Church Militant. With big tech plowing ahead and censoring conservatives, we encourage you to come to our website, churchmilitant.com. We give you authentic journalism from a Catholic perspective every day. We expose corruption because we're lay Catholics who want to see renewal in the church. So, what are you waiting for? Visit churchmilitant.com today.
1: As of this moment, there are 434 Catholic bishops who are members of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Obviously, there are far too many to talk about in this episode. In fact, we'd have to spend most of the summer to talk about all 434 of them, and that's not feasible. Besides, it would get really boring, because in my personal experience, most of them are pathetically effeminate, boring little men. So I'm going to devote our time to some of the most notable bishops in our three categories. First, I feel obligated to say that any bishop who caved into governmental authority to shut down Mass during the pandemic is, by that very definition, a bad, cowardly, pathetic, and weak bishop. I think that was pretty much all of them, so the lockdowns won't be a criterion for deciding who's bad, mediocre, and good. I'll begin with bad bishops, not necessarily in any particular order. First up is Bishop Anthony Taylor of Little Rock. His Excellency is so dependable for orthodoxy in leading the lay faithful that he told the founder of an LGBT Catholic support group in his diocese in 2018 that he supports and endorses their work. The group's founder said Bishop Taylor told her that when you grow up Catholic, you do hear negative attributes on people who are LGBT as well we should hear those negative attributes, Excellency. After all, LGBT people are playing God in trying to pervert the natural laws instilled in everyone by the Creator. As you'd expect, he doesn't uphold church teaching on abortion politics. Next up among the hellbound miters is Auxiliary Bishop Robert Barron of Los Angeles. Yeah, I hear you. But Joe, he's got some pretty cool videos out. What's wrong with Bishop Barron? Okay, he's earned this spot because he quite heretically promotes that everyone is going to heaven when they die. Well, if there's a stairway to heaven and a highway to hell, I think we can get a pretty good idea of anticipated traffic numbers. The next sulfur sniffer is pervert-loving Bishop Robert McElroy of San Diego. He doesn't uphold church teaching on homosexuality, church teaching on abortion politics, church teaching on LGBT ideology, and he permits communion for divorced and remarried Catholics. You hear that, Mr. Scratch? You'd better stoke up the fires extra hot so McElroy and his buddies won't catch a cold when they're having their orgy. Can you get high sniffing brimstone? I'm just wondering because this next guy will probably want a couple of big lines if he can. I'm talking about Bishop John Noonan of Orlando, who banned priests for life from his diocese while embracing a notorious homosexual parish. Archbishop Gregory Hartmayer of Atlanta has close ties to the Association of U.S. Catholic Priests, which is a group of priests dedicated to various radical changes to church teaching. Among them are homosexuality, pro-sodomy, priestless parishes, female deacons, and gaining funding from unsuspecting, pew-sitting Catholics. Hey, Your Excellency, I happen to know where you can get a one-way ticket on the express train to hell. Do you want it now or just wait a little while longer? Perhaps the most evil prelate in the Catholic Church is Cardinal Blaise Supich of Chicago. This man permits communion for divorced and remarried Catholics, doesn't actively engage in pro-life leadership, and actively supports homosexuality, LGBT ideology, and abortion. Hmm, the man must have some sugar in his tank. I can't think of any other reason he'd be like that. Supich's best buddy is Cardinal Joseph Tobin of Newark. The poor pointed headed thing is into everything. Nothing is too kinky for him. He even got caught signing off on Twitter one night with, Nighty night, baby. I love you. If that wasn't bad enough, Tobin has allowed his cathedral to serve as a gay pilgrimage site. Your Eminence, I suspect when you get where you're going, the demons plan to have a barbecue dinner with your lard ass as the main course. Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore at least hints that he's a Marxist because he fully supports Black Lives Matter. On top of that, he's wasting perfectly good air the rest of us may need someday. Cardinal Sean O'Malley of Boston has a hotbed of evil going on in his archdiocese. When he was first appointed, I thought he was going to be fairly good. Turns out he's a friend of Francis, and his whole diocese is a cesspool. I sure hope he has an asbestos cassock. Next up is Archbishop Alan Vigneron of Detroit. If you've been listening to Church Militant at all, then you already know his is going to be a long, hot vacation. Here as the ordinary in my own Archdiocese of St. Louis is Archbishop Mitchell Rosansky. I don't need to research him. I've already had my own experience with him. He's an elitist who thinks he's far better and more intelligent than the rest of us. He's a blatant liar, and he's a tyrant to those working for him. An evil, worthless bishop. As I speak, he's trying to decide just how many parishes he can close in this archdiocese. He's already done away with one Latin mass, and he's been here less than a year. He's going to turn the Rome of the West into the Roman ghost town of the West. Then there's Bishop James Johnston of Kansas City, Missouri. I know he's a liar, too. He tried to destroy me once with lies and innuendo. Hope he likes a warm climate. We've talked about the bad bishops long enough, even though we didn't cover nearly all of them. So now let's turn to some of the mediocre bishops, again, not covering nearly all of them. Let's begin with Bishop Thomas Olmstead of Phoenix. He's written several very good apostolic exhortations to his priests, deacons, and the men of his diocese. He also supports investigating Archbishop Vigano's claims, doesn't allow communion for divorced and remarried Catholics, actively engages in pro-life leadership, upholds church teaching on homosexuality, and upholds church teaching on marriage and family life. He sounds good but he's merely mediocre because he consistently and weakly refuses to enforce discipline in his see. Next is Archbishop Jose Gomez of Los Angeles, who appears to uphold church teaching on abortion. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt here. He'd otherwise end up in the already full bad boy category. Then there's San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordeleon, who appears to uphold denying communion for pro-abort politicians, but doesn't have the testosterone to enforce it. It seems like his most famous lamb is Nancy Pelosi, and she runs the show in San Francisco more than he does. Apparently he's another ladylike bishop. Now let's look at mediocre bishop Joseph Brennan of Fresno. After telling his people that they couldn't take vaccines made from aborted baby cell lines, he couldn't take the heat from the media and his brother-damned bishops, so he walked back his statement. Then there's Bishop Garcia of Monterey, who apparently knows nothing nor teaches anything. That's it. He's just an Episcopal lump. Jamie Soto of Sacramento supports investigating Archbishop Vigano's claims, actively engages in pro-life leadership, upholds church teaching on marriage and family life, but it's unclear if he upholds church teaching on abortion politics. Supporting something is a far cry from teaching or enforcing it. He's just another coward. Then we have one I used to like, Archbishop Samuel Aquila of Denver is faithful to church teaching on contraception, upholds church teaching on marriage and family life, and upholds church teaching on education. But realizing he is in a largely leftist diocese, he lacks the guts to enforce any of the discipline that a good father would do for his children. He's just a wimp. Bishop Daniel Jenky of Peoria upholds church teaching on homosexuality, church teaching on abortion politics, and church teaching on contraception. Problem is that I can't find any record of him actually denying communion to any of the numerous pro-abort Catholic politicians he has there in Illinois. One of the more active mediocre bishops is Bishop Thomas Paprocki of Springfield, Illinois. He doesn't allow communion for divorced and remarried Catholics, upholds church teaching on homosexuality, and upholds church teaching on abortion politics. He's faithful to church teaching on contraception, upholds church teaching on LGBT ideology, and promotes a reverent liturgy. That's all well and good, but if he weren't mediocre, all of you would already be aware of him. Nope, just mediocre. Finally in our mediocre category is Archbishop Joseph Newman of Kansas City, Kansas. He's been the most vocal bishop on life issues. He's the head of the pro-life branch of the USCCB, and to the best of my knowledge, he was the only bishop to say anything at all about Joe Biden's child-murdering priorities prior to the election. Did it do any good? Of course not, because His Excellency lacked the courage to get loud and bold enough to try to defeat the demonic Democrats last year. He's just another also-ran. Now let's cover all of the good bishops we have in the USCCB. Listen closely. You might want to write this list of bishops down so you can hold them up as standard-bearers for Christ Church and rally around them. Are you ready? Here they are. That's right, we don't have any good bishops in America. The only good American bishop is in Rome, Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke. Other good bishops are men like Venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen and St. John Henry Cardinal Newman. In other words, good bishops are courageous and have the zeal and tenacity of the original apostles. They're willing to risk life and limb for truth and don't care what people say or do when listeners reject the words of Christ that they shout out to be heard. There's no mistaking who they are. There's no mistaking what they want. They'll do always and only what God wants and consequences be damned. These other bishops, though, (laughs) we all need to pray for their conversions before it's too late. Some of these bishops I've listed are held by some as good bishops. They're not. They're mediocre. That's what they'd have been considered a hundred years ago, but because they bother to flex any muscle at all, we think of them as good bishops. They're not. Listen to what Jesus had to say in Revelation 21.8, and think of our current generation of bishops as you hear his words. He said, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. (laughs) Thinking about every single bishop in America, both those mentioned and those not mentioned, I see every single one of them mentioned in Christ's warning. They all fit under one or more categories that Jesus enumerates, so they've been warned. This is the age of the laity, and that means we can actually have a return to bishops like Raymond Leo Cardinal Burke, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, and John Henry Cardinal Newman. What the bishops have to be made to understand is something you need to understand first. The Catholic Church doesn't belong to the bishops. They don't own it. God can't be owned, and the church is a living, breathing, divine institution that Jesus established for us. He established it for us. The bishops are merely caretakers, and priests are their laborers. That's the life they chose, and they chose it, ostensibly, for God. I have a saying about someone who hasn't changed. I say it's because he hasn't suffered enough yet. Suffering motivates change. If you place your hand on a hot surface and leave it there, pain and physical damage results. You have to change it when it gets too uncomfortable. In this case, you move your hand. We have to become the hot surface for the bishops. We have to make it so painful for them to remain the way they are that the only solution is either to resign or change it to the men they were ordained to be. Signing petitions does no good. They can ignore petitions. Letters of phone calls to the chancery only do good if they're made public. Here in Missouri, it's perfectly legal to record a phone call as long as at least one party knows it's being recorded. You'd better believe that every single call that goes through my phone is recorded. Imagine having a conversation with a bishop or his representative where you're complaining about something that isn't right in the diocese and you're demanding answers. Now imagine that the usually frustrating call has been recorded and is made public. That causes the sort of suffering that motivates change. By the way, don't try recording phone calls until you've checked out the laws in your state. Stay within the law. Don't get yourself in trouble. Not every state's like Missouri. An exchange of letters with the bishop can work as well, provided you're willing to make public your initial letter and the bishop's response. More pain. The best thing to do, though, is to form a group or groups within your diocese and begin to publicly protest the bishop and his policies in front of the chancery. Do it legally, do it loudly, but do it often. For example, the chancery for St. Louis is away from traffic areas and deeply into church property, so trying to protest there will only get you put in jail when the bishop becomes sufficiently annoyed. However, the cathedral here, the bishop's church, has a great deal of traffic, and the sidewalk in front of it is public property, your property. You pay for it with your taxes. True, the bishop won't be there to see it, but you'd better believe he'll get a recap on the evening news, especially if you call the media, and he'll have to answer the news media when asked about the issues. Bishops just really don't like to do that. You can also raise capital to do mass mailings to Catholics throughout the diocese, exposing the bishop for his corrupt and immoral behavior. Get parish directories from as many parishes as you can. They not only have addresses, but a lot of them have email addresses. Have your group build its own database of names and addresses from these directories. Build a website for your group. Make life so miserable for your bishop that it becomes more comfortable for him to either do as he ought or to turn in his miter. All of these tactics can be applied to an errant parish priest as well. Don't give a dime to the diocese until the bishops are doing as they ought. And when you give your money to the local parish, designate, in writing, that your money is to go for a specific purpose, such as electricity, water, or building maintenance. This is the age of the laity, and we can win. I know we can win because God established the Catholic Church for us. But you've got to get up off your fifth point of contact and go out there and go to work.
3: Hey, Michael Voris here, founder and CEO of Church Militant. I want to invite you to come on over to our website, churchmilitant.com, and check out Evening News. It's our most comprehensive news show from an authentic Catholic lens, and it's live streamed every Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Our goal is to clear up misinformation so Catholics like you can be informed. So what are you waiting for? Visit churchmilitant.com today.
0: Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five.
1: Hats off to the New York Post. The American Federation of Teachers engaged in a full-court press with the Centers for Disease Control and White House officials to halt recommendations to reopen in-person classrooms, according to emails obtained using the Freedom of Information Act. In a February 1 email, AFT Senior Director for Health Issues Kelly Troutner wrote, Thank you again for Friday's rich discussion about forthcoming CDC guidance and for your openness to suggestions made by our president, Randy Weingarten, and the ATF. Come on! Who do you think you're fooling? You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic
0: Catholic News Pick Pick Number 4
1: Hats off to The Daily Wire Representative Maxine Waters said, Every day we have seen this nation get more racist. She made the comment when asked for her reaction to the speech by Senator Tim Scott, the only black Republican in the Senate. Waters attacked Scott for claiming that the United States is not a racist country. Well, you know, I don't know if he was counseled to say that or whether he really believes it, Waters said. If you really believe that, then he has missed not only the history of the country, but what's going on right now. <laughs> idiot. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic, Catholic
0: news pick, pick number, number three.
1: Hats off to the Washington Examiner. The economy is growing faster than expected that has economists expressing concerns over massive federal spending plans offered by the Biden administration. In addition to the recently passed $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package, the pretender has proposed a $2.3 trillion infrastructure package and the $1.8 trillion American Families Plan. Larry Summers, who served as a Treasury Secretary under President Clinton, has become a vocal critic of the spending spree. All the signs for inflation are starting to break out, he said. (laughs) They already have. That just makes me mad! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic
0: Catholic News Pick pick Number number 2
1: Hats Off to the Blaze Senator Mitt Romney, one of the most prominent critics of former President Trump, was loudly booed at the Utah Republican Convention. At first, he tried to deflect the booing by asking the crowd what they thought of Biden's first 100 days. Now, you know me as a person who says what he thinks, and I don't hide the fact that I wasn't a fan of our last president's character issues, Romney told the audience, which then booed even louder. The conference voted not to censure Romney in a vote of 798 to 711. Oh, boy.
3: Off with his head!
1: You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes.
0: Catholic Catholic News Pick Pick Number 1
1: Hats off to the National Catholic Register. A new bill in California would bar partnerships between public universities and health care providers who refuse to perform elective abortions and sterilizations, effectively banning Catholic hospitals from such arrangements. If this bill passes, it's not going to provide any more access to elective abortions and elective sterilizations. It's only going to take away health care from poor and vulnerable people said Lori Dangberg, Vice President of the Alliance of Catholic Healthcare.
0: That makes me sad.
1: You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes.
2: I am hard, but I am fair.
0: It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your Drill Sergeant, Joe Sixpack the Every Catholic Guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack.
1: This week's Catholic Boot Camp is directed to our bishops and all those laity who adhere to nice Catholicism. You know, comfortable Catholics. This is last week's guest, Michael Voris, in a recent Vortex. I'd like to hear your opinions about what Michael has to say. Let's listen.
3: There isn't a faithful Catholic in the church who can't help but wonder just how many of the bishops are going to be damned. Not just a few would be where the smart money is. And before all the Church of Nice and Cocktail Catholic crowd get all upset and start clutching their pearls in horror, consider that this was a common theme in the first centuries of the church and even many centuries following. The bishops in the U.S. have yet once again backed down in the face of continued sacrilege, or so pussyfooted around the issue, they might as well agree with it because that's the effect David DeLyden's attorney, Charles Lamandry, a solid Catholic who strongly defends life and the faith, has some thoughts on this.
2: They have to stop supporting abortion or they have to stop receiving communion. They can't go against their bishop at that point and present themselves at communion. And if they do that, then they're setting themselves up for that confrontation that may be unpleasant, that nobody wants, where they're going to be turned away at the communion rail. But that's their choice. And the bishops having properly advise them on what their obligations are, have to follow through at that point and do their job and not give them Holy Communion. Give them a blessing or whatever, but not Holy Communion.
3: The topic of giving Holy Communion to child-killing politicians has taken on heightened interest since phony Catholic Joe Biden became president without actually winning the election. So with that loser and fraud in the White House, all his golden calf-worshipping bishop buddies have circled the wagons around him and their own sacrilege, rushing to the barricades to announce he is worthy to receive Holy Communion. Some of the bishops who support a liberal
2: democratic agenda are probably on board with what the politicians are doing and are not going to withhold communion because they want to continue to support those politicians, regardless of the spiritual implications. I like to think the bishop believes in those spiritual implications, but I really can't answer your question as to why any one individual bishop is doing that, other than everyone wants to avoid something unpleasant, avoid confrontation. Uh, they want
3: to be uh, pals with the people in power. And loads of you thought politics and theology had nothing to do with each other. Hint everything is about theology and politics. Everything. A quick series of events, all circling around the real presence of our blessed Lord in the blessed sacrament, have now rushed upon us, and at every turn, the truth of the real presence is just laid aside by bishops. Hence, the truthful claim that a huge number of these men are on their way to hell. The events. First, Biden cheats his way into the Oval Office, the highest-profile Catholic receiving Holy Communion. That sets off a flurry of cries from the faithful that the bishops get some testosterone and denounce his reception of our blessed Lord's body and blood, placing into his blood-soaked hands. So, President of the U.S. Bishops, Archbishop Gomez of Los Angeles, needing guidance, actually needing guidance on all of this because he's so malformed and a weakling, fires off a letter to the Vatican asking for some direction and should open a child, Should an open child killer who scoffs at the faith and acts against it at every turn be allowed to receive Holy Communion because uh, we can't figure that out. Then, one of the crookedest cardinals in the history of the church, Chicago's Blaze Supich, together with his other pro-gay cardinal buddy, both elevated to their high posts by homosexual pederast Theodore McCarrick, both of them meet with Vatican officials and slyly inform them how to respond to Gomez's quizzling little wimpy letter. In the meantime, San Francisco Archbishop Salvatore Cordleone publishes a letter of his own, hailed up and down the Catholic world by easily deceived faithful, that does nothing more than simply restate 2,000 years of Catholic teaching about worthy reception of Holy Communion and how child killers should not be given the sacred species. However, as the bishop of Nancy Pelosi, a female version of Biden, but a little bit more butch, he never mentions a word about this notorious sinner and her reception of Holy Communion. When asked directly during a number of interviews, he basically deflected, saying, well, Nancy understands he wouldn't approve of that, implying, of course, that there's some kind of quiet agreement between them. Well, if there was ever a quiet agreement, that's not what Nancy thinks, because late last week, she basically gave Cordelione the finger when a reporter asked her if she would still present for Holy Communion.
0: And the U.S. Church's bishops uh, and the, the bishops' conference are, are, they doesn't well, want to give any money, or doesn't want to give uh, allow you to be, receive communion. You're no, they don't. No, I, I think I can use my own judgment on that, but... Uh, um, I'm pleased with what the Vatican put out on that subject. Did you read that? That'll be up to the individual
3: priests?
0: No, it basically says, don't be divisive on the subject.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Did you hear that, Archbishop? That's political speak for, you can drop dead, I'll do whatever I damn well please. So now, Archbishop, the ball is in your court. Regardless of your own personal beliefs, which are good, about the dogma of the real presence... You have let this child killing woman off the hook repeatedly. You have a duty here and you can write all the nicely worded and correct documents you like. Those won't get you off the hook when you stand before our blessed Lord. You should have put an end to this the first day you were in office. Now you are reaping the wind. But going back to Nancy for a moment, did you catch that little reference she made there? I was pleased with the document the Vatican put out. It says, don't be divisive. The letter she's referencing is what the Vatican sent back to Gomez, which was crafted behind the scenes by the homosexuality-loving Cardinals Supich and Tobin to more churchmen the demons are stoking the furnaces for. The letter they wrote and got the Vatican to publish basically says... The U.S. bishops need a consensus on this subject among themselves. Then they all need to pursue dialogue and go explain to the wicked child killers that ripping children to pieces in the womb and then sucking them out through a vacuum cleaner and then selling their pieces for medical research to work its way into vaccines and cosmetics, well, that's a bad thing and they really shouldn't do it. Then they need to all reconvene the bishops, compare notes from all of their dialoguing with the child killers, and then formulate a policy. Then they need to get in touch with bishops' conferences all around the world and get further consensus. Then they need to run that by the Vatican so all those homosexuals running the show there can dink with it and revise it and send it back for further dialogue and discussion. And round and round we go. If you are a church of nice Catholic or one of the establishment class who have bishops over to your house for cocktails and polite discussions about your golf handicap, do you really think these men aren't bound for hell? Really? How can you not? They're protecting the murder of children by the tens of millions, regardless of talking a little pro-life here and there. That's a cover to keep you in place, to keep you snowed. Then, even worse, they hand the body and blood of our Savior over to the men and women who make the laws that advance the Holocaust. Are you all flipping insane? Are you comfortable Catholics? That's who we're talking to here. Are you so thick, so spiritually dense and deceived, such theological wastelands, even if you do draw a check from the church, that you think these men are not heading to hell and taking untold millions of souls with them? They don't defend humanity. They don't defend our Lord's divinity. Many of them actively work against one or the other or both. The supposedly good bishops won't do what needs to be done, even at the cost of their own miters. Those good bishops need to stand up and decry this defiling of the temple, and then whatever happens to them happens. So big deal, you lose your diocese. Who cares? What good are you doing anyway that when the rubber hits the road, you rationalize your silence and your lack of action? Our Lord doesn't need you in your diocese to correct these errors, but you may very well need to be pulled from your diocese for defending the truth to be saved. Imagine an archbishop who tries, yet tiptoes around the truth, trying to defend it, being damned. And spending eternity with the very bishops he was terrified of speaking out against on earth. Because that's where this is all heading. It's throwdown time. In fact, it's long past throwdown time. Wicked men have assumed control in the church, and weak men will not fight for the sanctity of life or divine truth by denouncing them or the wicked Catholics who defile the church and commit sacrilege by name. The communion wars are and have been in full swing for decades, and believing yet wimpy bishops have been conditioned to think that the only thing that matters is politeness, consensus, dialogue, and unity. That is precisely why those spiritually dead cardinals, Supich and Tobin, crafted that wicked duplicitous response the way they did. It was meant to summon forth the inner cowardice of their easily manipulated, wimpy bishops back home. And so far it's working. If a bishop, whoever he is, or however well-intentioned he may be, doesn't see the need to lose his mitre to protect human life and divine truth, then the devil and his legions may as well just toss some more coal in the furnace to handle the anticipated increased capacity. Good bishops and their comfortable cocktail country club Catholics are being played for fools by these wicked men in the church and the Congress. You will have nowhere to go, no place to run and hide when you stand before the Lord of heaven and earth that you refused to defend in this life at your own particular judgments. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. You will never again... Bishops, have a moment so crystal clear to stand in defense of the truth. Do it. Enough with your letters and your debates and your consensus building and your useless dialogue. You are on the way to hell for your refusal to do the right thing. Your sins of omission are no less severe than the other bishops' sins of commission.
1: As you know, I don't like asking for your financial support. I always want a win-win situation whenever possible. Well, I've got a way for you to help this apostolate without you having to do anything you're not already doing. Everybody shops on Amazon. I've developed an affiliate relationship with Amazon. When you visit cantankerouscatholic.com and click on the Episodes page, blog page, or About the Show page, on the right-hand side of the page you'll see Amazon ads for Catholic books and merchandise. There's no price difference from Amazon's site, but if you click on something you're interested in and buy it, Amazon will pay me a small commission just for you clicking on that ad. It doesn't stop there either. Anytime you're on Amazon and find things you want to buy, send me the link to the items, and I'll send you another link to click when you're ready to buy. You won't pay a dime more for the item, but Amazon will pay me a commission. That way, you can help to financially support this apostolate just by doing what you were going to do anyway. Remember, Visit the episodes, blog, and about the show pages to find Catholic books and merchandise, and send me links to other things you want to buy on Amazon, and I'll send you links that will pay this apostle at a small commission. And I thank you in advance for your support. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom has gained over two millennia. Each week, we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. John Eudes. He said, Our wish, our object, our chief preoccupation must be to form Jesus Christ in ourselves, to make his spirit, his devotion, His affections, his desire, and his disposition to live and reign there. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. On one occasion, a Marine used some very bad language and mentioned the name of our Lord disrespectfully. The chaplain happened to be nearby. He came to the young man, jerked him to his feet, and repeated the very same words he'd heard the young Marine say. The rest of the Marines in the group were dumbfounded. "'Now,' the chaplain said sternly, "'you've heard me say it, and I'm a priest. How does it sound?' The humiliated Marine was shamefaced and silent. "'It ought to turn your stomach,' the chaplain said, and left. "'It probably did.' Because there was a dramatically decreased use of profanity after that. We're children of a heavenly Father, and we owe it to Him to speak of Him reverently. Christ died for us, and yet some of us use His name in profanity. Every time you hear someone use His name irreverently, in your heart say, Praised be Jesus Christ. If you yourself use His name irreverently, Think of the story of the Marine, and remember that your own evil words sound so awful that they should turn your stomach. This has been the
0: Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.